I remember my first trip to Israel about 30 years ago, and it said one day we were going to visit Jericho. We were going to stop in Jericho, and Jericho was an ancient city that had been known for centuries as the city of palm trees. And it's approximately 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem, about a day's journey. And it was the first city that Joshua and the children of Israel conquered when they entered the promised land. And if you remember what the Bible teaches, they marched around the city according to God's specific instruction for several days, and then the walls fell down miraculously. The walls just miraculously fell down. So when I saw that we were going to visit Jericho, I was excited and I wanted to see it. And what I pictured was walls laying flat on the ground. Instead, I saw a tower that had been built about the time that the walls were supposed to fall down. There were no walls. And I was disappointed. I said to our guide, who I didn't really believe the Bible, I said, have they found the walls? And he smiled and he said, no, no, they had never found any walls and they had looked quite a bit. He said there were several possible explanations to this. He said, one, when the walls fell down, people carried off the stones to build their homes or a new city close by. He said the second possibility was the writer of that portion of the Old Testament had exaggerated what had actually happened and that walls had never really fallen down. I didn't believe that one. Or he said the third possibility was the ruins that they had just shown us that were the traditional site of Jericho were not the real Jericho and the real Jericho may be found at a different time. I was so disappointed. And now every time I go to Israel, I hope that they will take us to the newly discovered real Jericho, that I'll see walls on the ground. But I haven't seen that yet. In our passage today, Jesus is visiting Jericho. And I wonder if in his day, he toured the remains of the walls that had fallen down by the power of God. It's interesting that in the passage that we're going to read, it is the only time we have any record in the Bible of Jesus ever visiting Jericho. And you know, that should make us uh, aware of something. It should make us aware of the fact that while God will continue to draw people to himself, while God will continue to give people the opportunity to become Christians, Jesus may only pass by one time. That that might be the only time that a person uh, needs to be able to reach out to him or the only opportunity we may have. He may not be back this way. Um, but let's look at our passage. Let's see what we're talking about today. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 20. And let's read verses 29 and 30. It says, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So these two guys sitting by the road are blind. Now think for a moment what it would be like to be blind. 
Think about all the things that you enjoy looking at, that you enjoy watching. Think of how simple life uh, is when you have a good, clear vision. Think about how complicated, how uncomfortable life becomes when your vision begins to weaken or grow dim. Now consider all that you would lose if you were not able to see at all. No vision of blue skies or of windblown trees or flowers. No way to see your favorite movie or your favorite sporting event. Close your eyes for a moment right now. Notice the absence of things. Notice all that is missing. These two men sitting by the side of that dusty road just outside of Jericho could taste the dust in the air. They could feel the sun on their cheeks and hear the scuffle of thousands of feet as the crowd went by, but they could see no one. They couldn't see anything. They had no visual perception of the sights of that day, but their hearing was exceptional. Even that is a mercy from God uh, that he has so created us that when one of our senses is absent, the remaining ones become heightened in their capabilities. And on this day, they heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by with the crowd. And they knew who Jesus was. They had heard about him. They had heard so much about him. And they believed that he could help them. They believed that he could heal them. And they didn't have their sight, but they did have their voices. They could not only speak, but they could speak loudly. And so as he approached, they began to yell. They began to cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, Lord, have mercy on us. And in their mind, they had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And as I've studied the passage for this message, I find it to be hugely helpful and encouraging. I believe that the word from Jesus for us today will be encouraging and positive and also challenging. Let me point out three encouraging lessons that we can learn from this passage. The first is, Jesus sees you and hears you. Jesus sees you and hears you. The two men yelling for Jesus' help were not the only blind people present that day. The crowd was full of blind people. Look at those verses again. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. The crowd started trying to get these two blind men to be quiet. I'm imagining that it might be the city officials of Jericho, maybe the city council or, or leaders of the chamber of commerce, and Jesus is a, a dignitary, and they want the town to look good to him. And as they're escorting him out of town, these blind beggars are trying to get Jesus's attention. The truth of the matter is, the town people, the, this crowd has probably seen these beggars before. They've probably seen them most days asking for some money to buy some food or perhaps to buy some balm for their eyes to make them more comfortable. And they were there every day asking for help to survive just one more day. 
but the crowd was blind. What's that old saying? There are none so blind as those who will not see. The most deluded people are those who choose to ignore what they already know. And many in this crowd had become blind to the needs of these two men. The two men had just become a part of the scenery, an inconvenient, uncomfortable part of the entrance or exit from the city. And the crowd was yelling at these two guys to be quiet so they wouldn't disturb Jesus. They wouldn't ruin the parade that they were enjoying while this famous teacher was in town. I love what it says happened next. Look at verse 31 again. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them, but they only shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They only shouted louder. They would not be silenced by the blind crowd. They knew that Jesus was their only hope for finding help, and they were determined to ask him for his help. So maybe we should pause and ask ourselves a couple of questions. Have we slipped into this trap? This trap of being blind even though we have the ability to see? What have we become blind to? Are we blind to the less fortunate people who are often begging in places like Robinson? I know all the normal answers. They might be scamming us or they may be wanting money for their addictions, but they are people in need. And I I fear sometimes we just look away that we've become blind to them. What about the reality of racism and injustice in our society? I am well aware that some are using that issue to promote their political agenda. And I'm well aware that some who are complaining about people using it to promote their political agenda are using that complaint to promote their own political agenda. The truth is, there does seem to be at least two justice systems in America, and I don't want to be blind to that. I think it's possible some of our most closely held viewpoints, some of our personal history, our politics, our uh, biblical traditions, our family backgrounds might have created in each of us the potential for a blindness that might cause us to overlook people and their needs. And maybe worse yet, we might overlook the heart of Jesus. It seems clear that the people with Jesus that day and the crowd leaving Jericho were blind to the needs of these blind men, but they were also blind to the heart of Jesus. They assumed Jesus wouldn't want to be bothered. They assumed that he would be annoyed by these two guys asking for mercy and attention, but they were wrong. The next verse tells us that Jesus hears them, that he sees them, and that's important today. I think God brought a few of you to this online service so that he could use this story to remind you of something really important. Jesus sees you and he hears you. Jesus sees you and he hears you. When you're crying out in prayer to the Lord, don't let the voices of the critics or negative people silence you. Jesus will hear you. He listens when you cry out to him. 
He sees us and he hears us. That's the promise of scripture. Look at Psalm 18, verse six. It says, in my trouble, I called to the Lord. I cried out to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My call for help reached his ears. And then in 1 John 5, 14, we read, and this is the boldness we have in God's presence, that if we ask God for anything that agrees with what he wants, he hears us. If you have been crying out to Jesus and you wonder if he's listening, don't give up. It's comforting to know that Jesus sees us and he hears us. Another encouraging lesson that we learn from this passage is Jesus is not too busy for you. Jesus is not too busy for you. To the crowd, these guys, these blind men were an uh, inconvenience. They were an interruption. Have you ever felt like an interruption in someone's day? I mean, you just need to stop in and ask the boss a question, and she or he seems to sigh a heavy sigh when you say, do you have just a second? And you feel like they've already judged your need or your question as unimportant, as an interruption. Or you're trying to talk to your teenager and they never look up from their phone. Or you're trying to talk to your parent or your spouse and they never look away from the screen, either the TV screen or their phone. And it's no fun feeling like an interruption. And our blind friends may have felt exactly that way. I mean, they're trying to get Jesus's attention and people in the crowd are saying, he's busy, be quiet. But they kept crying out to Jesus and the people kept saying, you two settle down, don't disturb this great man, just hush. And when they were feeling like interruptions and they were desperate, and then look what happened next. Look at the first part of verse 32. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called. The crowd was trying to ignore the blind men and move past them to put an uncomfortable situation and the interruption behind them. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus stopped. Now, he was the busiest person there, and he took the time to stop. He was the person with the most important task of any of them, and he took the time to really pay attention to these two blind men. There are a few powerful lessons that we need to hear from this. The first is, you are not an interruption in God's day. You are not an interruption in God's day. Jesus is not too busy for you. I think sometimes we think Jesus is so busy running the universe and dealing with really important things that he's just too busy to care about what I'm concerned about. I mean, people are asking him to cure cancer and to accomplish world peace and to heal our land and to end the persecution of Christians all over the world and to help people who are far from God cross the line of faith and gain the promise of heaven. And we think if he's doing all of those things, he's probably too busy to help me deal with my kids who are struggling with school. Or he's too busy to help me find that job that I really need or to help me forgive that person who hurt me. I mean, sometimes we decide God is so busy that I'm kind of on my own when it comes to these things that are so small in comparison. But that's not who Jesus is. 
the same Jesus who stopped and listened to two blind men on the side of the road will stop for you. He won't view you as an interruption. He isn't too busy for you. The second lesson is if we claim to follow Jesus, we should be like him. And that means we can't be too busy for others in need. I mean, we talk about times when we have felt like interruptions to other people, but let's be honest. Often we feel like people are interruptions in our day. I remember years ago talking to one of my mentors in ministry about the fact that right when I'm in the middle of preparing my messages, it seems like that's always when someone just stops by and wants to talk to me. And he gave me some hints uh, on what to do. I have a sign in my office that I hang on my door that says, study day, can it wait with a question mark? That helps me. And that came from one of his suggestions. But do you know the main thing he told me that day? He said, Steve, never forget that ministry is interruptions and that interruptions are ministry. Never forget that ministry is interruptions and interruptions are ministries. Parents, your most important ministry is your kids. Their constant questions and their interruptions are your ministry. It's your chance to show them how valuable they are. Each one is an opportunity for you to say to your kids, I am not too busy for you. You are a priority to me, not an irritation, not an interruption. This second lesson tells me to be more like Jesus. I have to learn to stop what I'm doing and communicate by stopping that I am not too busy for people in need. In our fast-paced world, it's way too easy for us to race from place to place. Jesus calls us to walk slowly through the crowd, to stop and listen whenever possible. Let's look at one more encouraging lesson uh, from the passage, and that's this. Jesus wants to care for your needs. Jesus wants to care for your needs. Look at verse 32. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? I love Jesus's question here for a number of reasons. First, I love it because it is a direct statement that Jesus cares about their desires, that he cares about their needs. Second, I think Jesus already knew their needs. He already knew what they wanted, but he still wanted to hear them ask in their own words and in their own voice. The Bible is clear that God knows what we need before we ask. I mean, he even knows what we need before we know we need it. And sometimes he knows what we really need instead of what we think we need and what we ask him for. He knows all about our needs, and he still wants to hear us ask for what we need. He wants to hear us express our heart and express our needs. So he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he listens as they respond. Look at the next verses, verses 33 and 34. Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly, they could see. Then they followed him. They said, we want to see. It was just a few words, but it said so much. They were saying, we want to finally be done with this blindness. We want to be able to see the path and walk without having someone 
have to guide us. We want to see the faces of the people that we love. We want to see the blue skies and the clouds. We want to see the sunrises and the sunsets. And Jesus, we want to see you. And Jesus felt compassion for them, and he touched their eyes. And instantly, these people who had been blind, these people who had not seen, suddenly, instantly, they could see. Wow. Wow. Two quick lessons for us here. First, their prayer is a good one for us to pray. We can each pray, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Lord, remove any spiritual blindness from me. Help me to see people the way you see them. Let me see the beauty around me. Help me to see the opportunities around me so that I can make a difference. Lord, we want to see. Help us see. It's a great prayer. The second quick lesson is that we should understand that Jesus is saying to each of us today, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He wants to hear you express your needs in your voice because your needs matter. Friends, please understand, Jesus wants to know what you want him to do for you because Jesus is for you. He's for you. He wants what's best for you. He wants to meet your needs. Your needs are not a burden to him. He wants to know, he's asking, what do you want me to do for you? And I think many times we're shy about answering that question and saying, Jesus, this is what I want. This is what I need. And of course, as I said a few weeks ago, he may say no sometimes. And he may give us what's best rather than what we request. But he is waiting to care for our needs. He wants to care for your needs. But you need to ask. You need to ask. James 4 says some very sad words that talks about the conflicts and quarrels between people. And then it explains the reason for that. Look at James 4 verses 1 and 2. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. You want things, but you do not have them. So you are ready to kill and are jealous of other people, but you still cannot get what you want. So you argue and fight. Here's the really sad words. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God. What would have happened if the two blind men in our passage today had just remained quiet? What if they had said, there's obviously a lot of people there. He's not going to hear us anyway. There's no sense in trying to make the request. What if they hadn't cried out to Jesus? What if they hadn't made their bold request? I suspect they would have remained blind. Where, why are you still stuck in that sin habit? Why are you still in the midst of that conflict in your relationship? Why haven't you figured out how to grow faster and get closer to Jesus? Hear those words again. Let them sink in. You do not get what you want because you do not ask God. Please hear Jesus' question to you right now. What do you want me to do for you? Think about it. What do you want Jesus to do for you? 
Now let's just bow our heads and I'm going to give you a quiet moment to pray, to just boldly make your request to God. Hear him ask, what do you want me to do for you? And make your bold request. After our time of quiet prayer, I will close. Let's pray. Father, in this quiet moment, many, many people have attempted to boldly answer Jesus' question. Father, many have requested many things. They've requested the salvation of someone they love. They've requested the physical healing of someone they love. They've requested a relationship to be put back together. They've requested a job or financial uh, help. Father, many have made requests telling you exactly what they want. And now, Father, we're just so thankful that you care for our needs. Thank you that you hear us and that you see us, that you're not too busy for us. And now help us to trust Jesus more as we await what you will do how you will answer our prayers. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.